Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. I, I don't know about you, but I always find it interesting when people text the show and say, can you unblock? Like, I've blocked so few people on Twitter that I can usually go through it in a commercial break. Like, it ain't that many. And usually it's a guy or an individual that has a swear word or something really derogatory or quite insensitive in their Twitter handle. I just try to avoid those. So I don't know if sometimes accidentally people get uh, blocked. You can you can criticize this fairly anytime you want on the show. But like I said, my number in terms of actual blocks is so low that I can go through it. Uh, it'll, it takes me under four minutes to go through the people that have been blocked. So if it's happened accidentally, it happens once in a while. I don't even, I don't know. Do you find that with Brendan with Twitter sometimes? You've blocked a, uh, an individual and you didn't mean to block them or or conversely, somebody says they're blocked and you're like, you're not blocked to my Twitter account. Has that ever happened to you? I can honestly say no one's ever come back at me about it. Okay, so <laughs> so I like, I just had a fellow tell me that I blocked. I'm like, you're not showing up in my, what do I call it? The timeline is being blocked. One guy that we don't want to block from the show, but he's not on Twitter, which just shows you how smart he is, is our inside the game analyst, former NHLer Rob Brown. Hello, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing good, Bob. How are you? Good. Uh, who made the decision not to go on Twitter? <laughs> Was it you or did your uh, wife make it for you? Well, it's funny. My wife went on Twitter. She She's a professor at university, and she went on Twitter to talk to her students, and she's excited about how many people she got. And my buddy was over at the time and said, I bet you if we put Rob on Twitter, he could outnumber you within five minutes. So they put me on Twitter, and I did. In about five minutes, got more followers. And then my buddy took me off Twitter and said, you're never allowed to tweet. He goes, I don't know who would, would be wrong tweet, being on Twitter more than you, but it would be a very small amount of people. So he decided it's best that if I wanted to say something to somebody, I just texted or called them. So, yeah, I think I've done two tweets in my life and probably safer for me and everyone else that I don't. Yeah. Uh, well, I tend to, as you know, solely tweet about the Oilers. I mean, there is like the, the thing with Sebastian Vettel this week where he's complaining about Alberta oil. And I'm thinking to myself, all right. You're bought and paid for by the Saudis. You're German where you get your oil from the Russians. And you're in a sport that is not exactly climate friendly. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, I mean, you got the trifecta there, buddy. You know what I'm saying? I, I read that, too. And I'm like, hey, they burn they burn gas for fun. Like, and I've seen how they put the gas in when they go to their pit stop. It's spraying everywhere. So, yeah, I thought that was an odd choice. You know, if a bicyclist came to town and said, you know what, I'm against the oil and gas, that's one thing. But, you know, an F1 driver, it seemed a little odd. Yeah, it's kind of like the the champagne socialists that uh, prioritize uh, green energy and then fly all around the world for conferences on private jets. You know what I'm saying? So, anyhow, I'm going to stick up for Alberta. And that's, you you know, that's, and and the place to do that is is on this show. And we have a lot of conversation around the Oilers and make no mistake, I love that the fact that the team's called the Oilers. (laughs) And this is uh, Oilers now. And Rob Brown and myself are part of the Oilers radio network. Rob, uh, we're going to start in goal. Because since the lockout, okay, since 0405, can you name 
how many teams won the Stanley Cup with the goaltender they either didn't draft or conversely, really, they didn't develop. So, uh, how, I don't know. One. Three, four, one. 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 <laughs> Detroit in 2008. So I'm just going to just, 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 just. Hear me out here. Here we go. So in 06, the Oilers lost to the Hurricanes in Game 7. Cam Ward was a Carolina draft. In 07, Anaheim won. Jaguar was their goalie. He resuscitated his career in Anaheim's minor league system. In 08, Detroit won with Hasek. Okay, they signed him as a free agent. In 09, Pittsburgh won the Cup. Marc-Andre Fleury drafted by Pittsburgh. In 2010, Chicago won it. Right, Rob? UFA Antiniemi was developed by Chicago in their farm system. In 2011, Tim Thomas of Boston won the Stanley Cup. He was developed in Boston's farm system. 2012, John Quick, L.A. Draft, 2013, uh, Corey Crawford, Chicago Draft pick, 2014, Quick again, L.A. Draft, 2015, Crawford, Chicago Draft. in 2016, Murray kind of usurped Marc-Andre Fleury that year. Of course, a Pittsburgh draft. In, in 2017, Murray and, and, and Fleury split these starts, both Pittsburgh drafts. In 2018, Holtby, Washington draft. 19, St. Louis wins. Jordan Bennington off the scrap heap, but a St. Louis draft. In the last two years, Vasilevsky. Uh, with Tampa Bay, obviously, a first-round pick of the Lightning. Does that tell us something? Should we read into that, that most of these organizations' goaltenders were drafted in or conversely developed uh, in-house? What do you think? Well, there's a couple parts of it. One, uh, if you're winning a Stanley Cup with a goaltender, that goaltender is good. You, you, don't, you, you can have the best offense, the best defensive players, but if you don't have a great goaltender, you're not winning. So these teams are, are finding good uh, goaltenders in the draft, and they're keeping them. So you're not there's not a lot of superstar goaltenders switching teams uh, in the height of their career because if you've got that goalie, well, there's only so many legitimate number ones in the NHL. You're not letting them go. So if you're going out and trying to trade uh, for a goalie or, fi- or find a UFA goalie, uh, you're not getting the top ones because the team is making sure they're under contract and they're keeping them. So you're, it's a gamble when you look for a goaltender through a trade and, or through unrestricted free agency because the best ones are not being let go. Uh, two, it's, it just shows you when you keep it in-house, you, you get to uh, bring this goalie up through your system, learn your system, learn your players. Your, uh, you get to help with his uh, progress. You, you get to bring in the goalie coach that you want with this goalie for the whole time. So it's hard. You're not getting a great goaltender uh, to bring into your team at the height of his career because those teams are not letting that goalie go. All right, so Edmonton has Stuart Skinner, third-round pick. You know, we don't expect him to be a starter next year. Mike Smith's status is currently... Uh, up in the air at least until July 1st. And again, I think Duncan Keith is probably coming back. I could see Mike Smith. He mentioned the three injuries that he had in the post-game availability. It would not surprise me if a goaltender in his 40s suffers an off-season injury or is so beat down he ends up going on LTIR. I think Keith will likely play. So the prioritization for the Oilers, Robin, I'm sure you agree, has to be in goal, does it not? Well, it does. Um it just it's such an important position and and I go back to the the, the the year that the Oilers finally made it back to the playoffs and Connor McDavid was the MVP of the NHL but the MVP of the team that year was Talbot 
because McDavid was just as good the year before and the year after, and they didn't make the playoffs. Without great goaltending, everything else is, is for naught. You need good goaltending, and it would be an incredible amount of pressure on Skinner next year. If he comes in, he's got this team that went to the Final Four. you got the two best players in the NHL. Uh, you're expecting to take that step forward. And if there's any falter during the season, then it lays on the, uh, on the feet of the goaltender. What does that do for his confidence if there's no fallback? They need to have something to protect Stuart Skinner confidence-wise. Uh, if, if he's a goalie of the future, you want to make sure that his future is bright and you don't put him in a position where uh, it's, it's Stanley Cup or bust for him. So, yeah, they need someone to protect Stuart Skinner, whether it's Mike Smith or someone else. But they need some veteran presence to be able to I – mean, every player goes through ups and downs through, during a season, but no player is scrutinized as much as a goaltender. So, yeah, I, I believe that the Oilers have got a lot of great pieces – but they got to make sure that they're, the biggest piece is in net has to be taken care of before the season starts. All right. Sean has texted us, Rob, on the Ashley Fine Floors text line and says, Bob, you make an amazing point. Why didn't Ken Holland take the best goaltender in the draft last year uh, at uh, you know when the Oilers had their chance in the first round? Was We both know, Rob, Sebastian Kosa was gone, and the Oilers ultimately elected to pass on Jesper Wallstadt. They traded down, and they could have taken him at 19. Instead, they traded down a couple spots, got an additional pick, ended up taking a Xavier Borgo. Edmonton's had some success at 22 with right shots, by the way. Jordan Eberle, Kyler Yamamoto, and now Borgo's tracking the right way as well. We'll see on goals. So goaltending's a start. For you, uh, besides... Is it too easy to say, well, we got to get the Evander Kane situation revolved, uh, resolved, Rob? Is that, or is there another area that you'd like to address besides in goal at this stage? Well, uh, there, there's so many dominoes that are going to fall when it when the decision with Evander Kane is, is finalized, Evander Kane was the Oilers' third best player when he was here. So if you lose Evander Kane for nothing, that's a big loss, and now you got to fill that spot. Uh, if you sign him, well, all of a sudden that might mean you have to move other players out contract-wise. So then there's other positions that you're going to have to fill. Uh, so I don't I don't know if for Ken Holland if he can start checking off things on his to-do list until he figures out if Evander Kane's coming back or not. It's a big amount of money, and it's a big spot in your lineup. So, yeah, I, I think until Evander Kane is yes or no, it really puts a lot of the rest of the Oilers' decisions on hold because they don't know how much they have to spend or where they're going to have to shore up. What would you do with Yessa Pogliarvi at this stage? Well, I would. if he's here, he's not getting a big bump in pay. Um, I love Yessi. I love his work ethic. I think the kid is is awesome. Uh, I've never no kid enjoys the game more when things are going right than him. But the the last part of the season and in the playoffs, he was a shell of himself. And I, as of right now, he's not a top six player. He's just he's he's just not good enough to be in the Oilers' top six. Uh, I don't know if you you let him go and say good luck elsewhere, but getting to that point. His skill set and his hockey IQ are not on the same page. And I think that's his biggest deficit as a player. Rob, Valeri Nachushkin did not score in 91 straight games, including 0 for 57 in an entire season in Dallas. Uh, he had 25 goals and 60 points this year in Colorado at 28. Is that a fair comparable, Polyarvi and Nachushkin? Uh, no. I, I think watching... 
Takush can play, I, I believe he sees the game better than Yessi. He understands the game better than, than Yessi does. And when I, I think when he wasn't scoring, and I remember that season, there were other things he brought to the table that were beneficial to his team. When Yessi doesn't score right now, it affects every other part of his game. You could see it in his body language. Uh, you, in the playoffs, he was taking 25-second shifts. He was falling trying to shoot the puck. He was making passes that missed guys by 25 feet. And it was it, it's a confidence thing with him. So, uh, And then, what did you say, Nakushin's 28? So do you wait till yes, he's 28 years old? Four more seasons, yeah. Yeah, so that's a long wait for a guy that you're going to have to give a big bump in pay or a bump in pay. So... Yeah, I, I don't see them as comparable players. I could be wrong. Yes, he could go on elsewhere and play well, and I hope he does have good seasons. But right now, again, to me, the hockey IQ is not as quick as the skill set that he has. He's got every attribute you want in a hockey player. Big, strong, uh, can shoot, uh, can skate. He just doesn't see the game well enough to play with uh, Connor and Leon, in my eyes. Yeah, well, uh, and you, you mean you made a career out of playing with some pretty good players. Now we're going to have some fun. Today, Andre Kuzmenko uh, made it official, uh, represented by Dan Milstein, the same man that's got Evander Kane. Uh, Kuzmenko did visit with Edmonton for multiple days, uh, but ultimately his signed with the Vancouver Canucks. So we were discussing some, you know, he's the biggest European free agent out there this year. And there's been home runs like Panarin, and there's been guys that have missed like Shipachev. During your playing career, do you recall a European player or two, or it can even be an NCAA a college free agent that had a huge name or a huge rep coming in and was a complete and total bust. Yeah, when I was in Pittsburgh, my first year, it might have been actually my first training cap. I don't think I don't know if I made the team that year. Dwight Mathiason. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone was talking about him. He was supposed to be a star at the NHL level, and he was going to come in and play with Mario. And uh, he was. You, you, there was so much potential for him to have big seasons and. I don't even know if he played the whole year in Pittsburgh there, but he was a big signing that everyone, the expectations were very, very high for, and he just did not turn out like they expected. Now, wasn't there a legendary story about Warren Young as well? (laughs) Well, Warren Young, again, had an incredible year playing with with Mario. He had great hands and was tough, but, I mean, I I think it was just the one season, and then that was it for for Warren. He signed with Detroit. And they had a pool. They had a pool, Rob, to see when Warren Young would score his first goal. And the guy that won the pool picked Adirondack versus like somebody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's mean and hurtful. Oh, that would be sad. I mean, the guy picked up some money, so it was a good bet. So I, I, I loved Warren Young. Um, he obviously benefited playing with Mario, but he still put the puck in the net. And but uh, there's there's some well there's the guy that, who's the guy that played with the Sedins that chose to go elsewhere. Anson and, Carter, that's the most Anson, famous one. Yeah, I mean again, to to play with a great player and to be able to put the puck in the net, you're doing something right. But it's you're a complimentary player, and sometimes players that are complimentary players uh have too high a regard of themselves as players and when they go elsewhere it's not the same when you're driving the bus instead of being the guy that uh helps out and sometimes you just got to realize that you know I've got a pretty good here and uh, if I stay here I may I I might be the second wheel or the third wheel 
but I'm always going to be part of something special where if you go somewhere else, the expectations are huge, and then every eye is on you and you fail. It is a, a failure that will be uh, broadcast loud, and you will hear it. So sometimes you just got to take uh, enjoy the ride while you're on it and understand that you are benefiting from playing from some pretty good players. Warren Young, for the record, in 1984-85, Mario's first year in the NHL scored 40 goals and had 174 PIMS with the Penguins. He subsequently signed with Detroit, Rob, as you know, and had a 22-goal, 46-point, 161-game season. He never did play with Adirondack. That was the joke. He's one of the guys. He returned to Pittsburgh the next season and scored eight goals. It's quite remarkable, really. He scored 40 goals in 84-85, and by 87-88, he was done. Like, he ended up with Muskegon for half the year. Seven goals, no points uh, in the 87-88 season. So you must have just missed him because you were with Camels. What? No, I... 87, wasn't I with Pittsburgh in 87, 88? Uh, I'm going to defer to you on that since you're the player. <laughs> but yes. I, I, know I, I know I played with Warren Young. Yes, you were on the team. You had you had you had yeah. 24 goals and 44 points and 50. You were the guy that came up for Warren Young, wasn't that? The, what? I, I, well, I actually I did take his spot, which was a little fearful because he was really tough. He could beat me up in practice, but I do. Super nice guy, awesome yeah. guy. Warren Young was. Yeah. He benefited, and and and, and all honestly, he benefited playing from with Mario, but Mario also benefited that rookie season playing with Warren Young because Warren Young had. Uh, he was tough, and he was mean, and allowed yeah. Mario to do what Mario does best. Still need a little bit of that in this game. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining us here in Oilers Now. All right, take care, Bob. You bet. That is Rob Brown, our inside-the-game analyst on the Oilers Radio Network. Of course, uh, Rob was a fourth-round draft choice of the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 1986. Uh, in 86-87, he had 212 points with the Kamloops Blazers, and he ended up playing 543 games in the NHL and had 438 points. It is 124 in Edmonton. We're going to take a quick timeout and get back to a rack of texts at 780-496-0063 on the Ashley Five Floors text line. You're listening to Oilers now. Linda says, Bob, I'm hearing rumors that there's a chance that Huso is signing with the Edmonton Oilers. Well, Billy Huso is going to be targeted by six to ten NHL organizations. So we shall see uh, where it goes. Uh, Bob, who do you think pound for pound is the better team right now? The Edmonton Oilers or the Tampa Bay Lightning with no injuries? Well, Tampa Bay is the better team. They have Vasilevsky in goal. It starts there. They have Hedman on defense. So they've got a Vesna-caliber trophy-winning goaltender, and they got a you know a guy in the pipes in Vasilevsky that's – and maybe there's three or four other goaltenders. You know, he's top five in the world, and Hedman's a top three defenseman in the world. Uh, Stamkos is terrific. Points hurt. Might not play tonight. I, Tampa Bay right now is a better team, but it doesn't mean Tampa Bay is going to be the better team in two years. That said, where the Oilers have got to close the gap, they, they've got to come up with a solution and goal. Obviously, Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse's injuries impacted the, the series against Colorado. And it's got to be stated, the Oilers lost three one-goal games in that series. And when you see Colorado bootstop Tampa Bay 7-0 on Saturday night, it just shows you how good Colorado is. It's their time. They have a guy in Chris McFarland that did a lot of, and we mentioned him a lot over the years, 
uh, worked for Scott Housen all those years ago when Scott was GM in Columbus, won a Calder Trophy, uh, you know, with the guy that's the current head coach of the Colorado Avalanche when they're in Columbus's organization. I know that Bill Zito didn't like the suggestion when I spoke to Florida that at times Columbus is taking a pocket knife to a gunfight in terms of salary structure, but that's the reality of the situation. And Jared Bednar won a Memorial Cup. Or, sorry, not a Memorial Cup, but a Calder Cup before he went to the Colorado Avalanche. And when he went to Colorado the first year, Pat, uh, you know, they, they'd inherited a situation where Patty Waugh decided to bail on the team. And they were horrendous in 16-17. But they've really been building their program out since the, uh, the offseason of 17. Speed, speed, speed. They're good. They're on a little bit different level. But that can change in a couple of years. Two years ago, if we had told you Jay Woodcroft would be the solution as head coach for the Edmonton Oilers when he went 21-27 and whatever in the American League when the pandemic hit, he'd be the next, you know. But by this fall, everybody was ready for Jay to take over the team. Things evolve. Things change quickly. We'll see what happens. We're going to take a timeout and head off to a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson. And we're going to head off to St. John, New Brunswick, and hook up with Kurt Hill, Edmonton Oil Kings GM, when we return for a preview of the Memorial Cup. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.